0: Well, to begin our sermon this morning, I've got a short clip from Tim that I want you to see and hear.
1: One of the things that Tertullian added in his treatise is this, and talk about taunting the government. Despite Christianity's relatively brief history, he said, yet we have filled all the places that belong to you, cities, cities, Islands, forts, towns, exchanges, the military camps themselves, tribes, town councils, the palace, the Senate, the marketplace. We have left you nothing but your temples. The gospel would go to every city and to the borders of the empire and beyond and so with the persecution for opposition to the gospel has a long violent history from the 1st century to the 21st century as Christ has built his church in and through persecution the path of suffering even death for the sake of the gospel is not a path that god merely permits it's one that he blazed and we're just following him In December 1777, after a year of mostly defeats and retreats, George Washington's army made their way out of New York to winter quarters in the Pennsylvania countryside. They had little food and little hope. Many were dressed in rags and had no shoes. Washington grimly observed that You might have tracked the army from White Marsh to Valley Forge by the blood of their feet. The vivid image of blood in the snow in the wake of a battered and unlikely army is such a picture of the church. Like the soldiers of Valley Forge, it is an army whose march across the centuries and to the ends of the earth can be traced by bloodstains left in their path. The blood of Christians is seed, sacrificed for the sake of the gospel, whether by violent death or through the day-by-day risks of living on mission, is the path God uses to glorify himself in the world and make his grace and saving power known. This is the.
0: Strong stuff. I hope you'll be with us this Saturday night. If you have your Bible, please turn with me to Mark chapter 2. The Gospel of Mark chapter 2. At our men's retreat last weekend, Pastor Bryant Lee. From Higher Expectations Church over in Umble, he finished off the weekend for us with a, a great call from God's Word for men to lead the way in living on mission with Jesus. And he had a, he had a short little exercise for us to do, and it was one that stung me and, quite honestly, embarrassed he, he, he passed out four by six cards. He said, Draw three circles in the shape of a triangle. In the top circle, write your name. In, in the bottom two circles, write the names of two men in your life who are far from God. And not men who live a state over or across the country or even around the world, but men that you could get with on a regular basis for the sake of the gospel. Write the names of two men in your life who are far from God that you would or could go after for the sake of the gospel. And I had a really, really hard time writing two names down. And he gave us a few minutes and some guys popped into my mind, but I thought, you know, I don't know how how easy it would be for me to get with them on a regular basis and give us a couple more minutes and then he said okay okay all done you got your names you got your names anybody not have any names and i'm sitting there in the back and i'm going hey i don't have any names and i'm the guy who for 10 years 11 years has been telling these men to live on mission with Jesus to identify some guys in your life That are far from God and begin to pray for them and love them and initiate with them and serve them and share the gospel with them. I don't have any names. He's like, anybody? And I thought, I'm going to keep quiet. But then I thought, no, that's a bailing out. I said, Brian, I don't have any names. And I don't know what was going on in the hearts of those Redeemer men who were there going, Mitch didn't have any names, that sucker. He'd been screaming at me for a decade. He said, If you don't have any names, you probably have a disease called church. Now, you had to be there the night before to hear Bryant Lee's passion for the local church. Don't hear in, in that any thought whatsoever that Bryant's one of these guys that the church isn't getting it done, the church isn't where it's at. That ain't him at all. His point was that so many of us because we build our lives so much around God's people that if we don't watch out we don't have any real relationships with lost people at all. Not any ones that we could really seem to engage with and of course I work at a church and every day all day I'm working with those who already know the savior and so that that could be an excuse we've just moved into a new home several months ago the names that did pop into my mind are my old neighbors some of them who I believe don't know the savior and so thinking And so maybe that explains, but I just used a word and I want to use it again. It might explain why I have trouble getting two names, but it doesn't excuse it. And here in that little short video, Tim, reminds us maybe just with a little phrase, the blood of Christians is seed sacrificed for the sake of the gospel, whether by violent death or by death the day-by-day risks of living on mission. Are you taking day-by-day risks to live on mission with Jesus? How about you, Mitch? Could you write down the names of two people far from God in your sphere of influence? We, we call it your circle that you would have some sense of gospel responsibility for, that you would pursue with gospel intentionality. If you would struggle with that as I struggle with that, maybe you've got the disease of church too. I hope what you don't have, and I sure hope what I don't have is something that we will see here in our text this morning maybe a worse disease called ungrace. Let's watch in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. If you were with us last week, you saw the wonderful story of Jesus healing the paralytic, but the more point of the sermon was there in verse 10, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And we saw the phrase three times over in verse 5, your sins are forgiven. In verse 9, your sins are forgiven. In verse 10, on authority on earth to forgive sins. What an incredible thing about our Savior. And now right on the heels, Mark shares another story of the great, great grace of Jesus Christ. And the fact that his authority to forgive sins and call men and women to discipleship is not limited to the respectable among us, but extends to any and to all who will humbly follow him. Verse 13, And Jesus went out again by the seashore, And all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. Now, just quickly, this Levi is Matthew, the one who came to follow Jesus and who ultimately wrote the gospel of Matthew. But here is his name, Levi. Levi. As Jesus passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you'll know this, but maybe you're brand new to the church thing, or maybe you're brand new to the scriptures. Tax collectors were hated. This is Israel, this is the Jewish people, and yet they were under the thumb of Rome. Rome was the, the big dog in those days, reigning that first century Mediterranean world. And Levi was a Jewish man who had, if you will, sold out to the Romans to collect taxes from his own people to give to Rome. For that reason alone, they were hated among the people of Israel. Add on to that that they often, because of their association with Rome, were considered to be unclean. Within Israel, if you were a tax collector, even if you were Jewish, and you were collecting taxes from the Jews to give to the Romans, it disqualified you as a judge or a witness in a court session. They were dismissed. They were despised. One commentator sat, painted this picture of Levi. He sat near the lake at a table. Around him were piles of money and account books and fish, but few friends. He was one of the guys that was on the outside. And yet Jesus comes along and calls him. Follow me. And he got up and followed him. I like to read between the lines here. I don't think I'm terribly off base. I've read others who kind of feel the same. This is not the first time that Matthew had engaged with Jesus. Maybe not one-on-one, but this is probably not the first time that Matthew had seen Jesus, probably not the first time that he had heard Jesus. He may have witnessed some of the miracles that Jesus did in and around Capernaum. He certainly heard about Jesus as the word was going out through all of those regions. And maybe he heard stories like the one just before, that this man has the authority to forgive sins. But maybe he was thinking, that all sounds great. Sure wish it was for me. Maybe he had great hopes that Jesus would forgive him. Maybe he had great desires to follow Jesus like he had heard others were doing, but maybe he was thinking, but I'm a tax collector and I'm always lumped in with the sinners. Maybe I'm too far gone For the grace and mercy of this man. And then Jesus shows up and says, Hey, follow me. And I don't know, but I'd like to think Matthew, Levi looked and said, Me? And maybe Jesus looked at him and said, Brother, don't you know that you're the reason? Came. He's going to say that in just a moment. Matthew got up, Levi got up, and followed him. But it wasn't just one of them. Verse 15, it happened that as he was reclining at the table in his house, And many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. There's a debate as to whether this was Levi's house or the house that Jesus was staying at. Most believe that it was Levi's house. Apparently, Levi has thrown a party. And he's invited all of his tax collector buddies and sinner buddies to be there. Because he wants them to know that Jesus can save guys like us, too. He's here for us. Jesus was reclining at table in his house. Many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. This is awesome. It's not just Matthew keep going back and forth. Excuse me for that. I'm going to go with Matthew because that's it's not just Matthew that Jesus can save. Jesus can save lots of tax collectors and lots of sinners. Why? Because that's the only kind of people he came for. We might not be tax collectors, but we're all surely sinners. We looked deeply into that just last week. And Matthew had come to follow Jesus, and apparently, some, maybe all of these guys that were there, had begun to follow him as well. But it's wonderful here that once Matthew experiences the grace of Jesus, he's got to extend it to others. Just a short little clip here from one of Tim's stories with some brothers in northern Africa. Tim writes, I woke this morning in Said's village with the help of a pesky rooster. The air was cold in the distance. Morning light fingered through a gray sky and touched the distant mountains. In the early light, I found Saeed out sitting near the well, drinking in the word. This is his source. This is what fuels his endurance, his preaching, his counsel, his heart. Saeed has been in the faith for six years. Before that, he was a brick mason with a fifth grade education. But during these six years, Saeed has walked with the Lord and filled his days and his heart with God's word. I thought of the passage in Jeremiah. Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name. Before setting out for Casablanca, we had a visit from the local police chief. His name was Hussein, but I prefer to call him Barney Fife. It seems that since Saeed was arrested three years ago for the crime of sharing the gospel, the police try to keep track of him whenever they can. It was just a routine hassle. Barney was just doing his job, And to have a real live ex-con in town, along with several of his foreign accomplices, likely spiced up an otherwise boring beat. Barney called in our names and passport numbers to the police headquarters in Fez. So while he finished up the report, we took a walk. For Saeed, this place holds many emotions. This is the mountainside where he was born. And from the mosque in the center of the village to every house and footpath in between, this is home. Here he first tasted new life in Christ. Here he first felt the sharp slap of rejection, but also here he first embraced the fellowship of suffering with the one who also came to his own and his own received him not. What's clear is when Christ lit the candle of Saeed's life, he couldn't conceal it. The city set on a hill cannot be hid The day Saeed was baptized, he sent a group message to over 100 people, everyone in his phone contact list. It said simply, Walit Masihi, I have become a Christian. In this country, this was like asking to be killed. But Saeed did not have a death wish. He has a living hope. In fact, his old life was the real death sentence. Now in Christ, he has never been more alive. Said has a life that no man can ever take away. I don't know, just like Matthew experienced the grace of Jesus and said, hey, buddies, y'all all come over so you can meet him. Saeed comes to faith in Jesus. He's going to get baptized. Hey, everybody in my phone, 100% of whom do not follow Jesus, I'm a Christian. You gotta know him, man. Well, there's Jesus among them, loving them, no doubt, telling them about the kingdom of God, answering any questions they might have, talking to them about repentance and belief, and the call to follow Him, and apparently, many of them did. Before we keep pushing, and surely I'm going to run out of time, but let's just think about Jesus here for a minute. How many of these tax collectors and sinners, who, according to Mark, were following him? How many of them persevered in their faith? They heard. They responded. Would they all persevere or would some of them eventually fall away? Maybe when following Jesus becomes really hard. Or maybe eventually they would be distracted by other things. Would they stay on the heels of Jesus? We don't know. But what we do know, and this little sentence, this little phrase comes from a fellow named James Edwards. And I had to look up one of these words. We do know this about Jesus. He sowed love as profligately and uncalculatedly as the sower who threw seed in unpromising places. Of course, he's coming to the the parable of the sower in Mark 4 that we'll look at in due time. We know that Jesus sowed love as profligately and uncalculatedly as the sower who threw seed in unpromising places. Unpromising places. You ever feel that way about your neighborhood? People far from God that live in your neighborhood. You ever feel that way about the people far from God in your workplace? You ever feel that way about people in your family? Maybe the gym that you go to or the club that you're a part of. This is an unpromising place. But even into those unpromising places, Jesus sowed his love. Profligately, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. What does that mean? I had to look that one up. Recklessly extravagant or wasteful in the use of resources. Think about it. Indeed, that's what Jesus did. And that's what he calls you and me to do. Even into the unpromising places, he calls us to sow the seed of the gospel. Because he knows, he assumed, and so should we, that some of the seed will fall on the roadside and not take root at all. And some of it will fall on rocky soil. It'll shoot up quick, but when hardship comes, it's gone. Some of it will, will fall among the tares. It'll show early promise and even be there for a while, but ultimately the love of money, the desire of other things will choke it out. Jesus knew that, but he still sowed his love and calls us to sow his love and his gospel message. Why? because he still knew that some may well fall on the good soil and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. And he did this uncalculatedly. He's not doing the math regarding if I do this, what can I get in return? Quickly, there's the grace of, Of Jesus, here's the ungrace. Verse 16 When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? They saw Jesus with these that are considered unclean. And detestable sinners and they ask why why would he do this and the text doesn't tell us but I don't think we're too far to think how they felt scornful may it not be so with us huh when we started this series, I told you, there's a number of characters in the Gospel of Mark. There's, there's Jesus who always goes God's way. He's the quintessential disciple in the Gospel of Mark. And then there's the scribes and Pharisees who never go God's way. They're always opposed to what Jesus is about. And then you have this group in the middle Who sometimes go God's way and sometimes don't go God's way, and they're not really sure who's that? That's the disciples. That's you and me. How would we respond when we see Jesus hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? How would we respond if if you've been around here? Remember, we we preached the book of Acts, and we got to Acts chapter 11. In fact, Lord, help me with the time. But y'all turn to Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 10, Peter went and preached the gospel to the Gentile named Cornelius, went into Cornelius' house, a Gentile, And there in Cornelius' house were all of his Gentile friends and family members. Remember? And Peter preached the gospel to them, and they believed, and the Holy Spirit came upon them just like he had come upon the Jewish believers earlier in the book. And in chapter 11, verse 1, the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. When Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took Issue with him saying You went to uncircumcised men And ate with them Here's a man Named Peter living on mission with Jesus taking this gospel of the Forgiveness of sins and the grace of God to the to Cornelius And his Gentile Family and friends and There's a group in Jerusalem Who took issue with It And Peter gives his defense And down in verse 15, I began to speak. The Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? They took issue with him. And by implication, Peter seems to be saying, Don't stand in God's way when this gospel is going to those you're not so sure about. Praise God in verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. If some of our brothers and sisters in this room begin to get serious about living on mission with Jesus and taking the gospel to, quote, tax collectors and sinners. What will you and I think about that? Hopefully not like the scribes and Pharisees are thinking about it. If our brothers and sisters go and live on mission with Jesus and start inviting them to church, things get a little bit uneasy because maybe her friend doesn't dress like you would hope that she would dress or maybe his friend doesn't carry himself with the humility that you think he ought to carry himself Or maybe she's 16 and she walks in with a belly out to hear. Or maybe he comes to Bible study and you quickly realize he don't believe like you believe. Or you find out they're living a lifestyle of sin. Will you take issue? Will you and I stand in God's way? I hope not. I hope that all of us would welcome them and love them and be patient with them. I know that when you became a Christian, you changed immediately into the sanctified holy one that you are. But for so many, it ain't that way. I hope we'll be patient and I hope we'll be loving and I hope we'll share the truth in Christ with a winsomeness and a love and a grace that surely Jesus did. The tax collectors and sinners absolutely loved the guy. At least many of them did. Jesus says, hearing this, he said, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, Jesus knows there aren't any people who are healthy spiritually, and there aren't any who are righteous. He's speaking to these scribes and Pharisees, though, who think themselves to be righteous, who think themselves to be healthy. And to any of us who think ourselves in no need of Christ, He will not have us. God is opposed to the proud. But he gives grace to the humble. To those who know they're sick. Who know they are sinners. Jesus said, why am I hanging out with tax collectors and sinners? That's what I came for. And quickly, seemingly, Matthew got it real quickly himself. This is what I'm here for, too. Darrell Bach, New Testament prophet Dallas Seminary, writing on the parallel passage of this in the Gospel of Luke, said this. The physician seeks out the sick and calls them into the hospital room of God's care in the context of personal acceptance. They begin to listen open up to God and find the way to spiritual health now we know this is not always and, and Dr. Bach knows that too but he says in the context of personal acceptance hey glad you're here hey come on over for dinner In the context of personal acceptance, they may begin to listen, open up to God, and find the way to spiritual health. What Luke wishes his readers to see, and I think we could say Mark the same, what Luke and Mark wishes his readers to see is that a gracious door of care is offered to all. Sinners are asked to sense their need. Thus, the mission extends to all and takes the initiative in seeking them out, It takes an open door to create open hearts. It is that openness that Jesus exemplifies in his willingness to risk ridicule and associate with sinners. Should not his disciples do likewise? I don't know. I think if we were to ask Jesus, in light of this story, why'd you come? Came to call sinners to life. Probably if we ask Matthew, what are you up to? Well, the grace of God has changed my life. And I'm trying to get my buddies to come hear all about it. Let's close briefly with this. Let's marvel at the grace of Jesus and follow him. No matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He came for the sick. He came for you. If you've never trusted in Jesus turn to him right now secondly let's live on mission with jesus just like matthew seems to do here he began to follow him and following jesus meant fishing for men i'm not so sure you know it's interesting when jesus went and called the fishermen he said follow me i'll make you fishers of men when he calls this tax collector all we get is follow me But the call is the same. And then finally, may God give us grace. Let's don't take issue. Take issue. They took issue. Acts chapter 11. Let's don't take issue with those who are going hard after lost people. And should they come here, and may they come in droves. speak the truth but with a love and a grace that oozes from us because we know we know that we are sinners just like them let's pray and then we will remember Jesus together father thank you for this word thank you for your son who came to call sinners like us to repentance. Oh God, and so many of us, by your grace, when you called to us, we rose and followed you. And along that road of following you, we we struggle, we stumble, we fall, we get distracted. We have to fight our pride and all that keeps us from living on mission with with you and reaching out and loving and and personal acceptance of those who are far from God. Would you help us uh, to be more like your son? And Father, any brothers, any brothers, sisters, men, women here today who've never put their faith in Jesus, never trusted him, maybe because they thought they were too big of a sinner, I pray that you might scream to their soul through your word, you are the one I came for. And they would trust in Christ now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.